Thanks so much for having me. I'm uh, Zach Shapiro. I'm a lawyer, uh, Bitcoiner, and investor in the Bitcoin venture ecosystem. Nice, nice. So, Zach, on the Bitcoin source, we usually ask people a series of like five or six questions. Uh, my first question to you is, and I usually ask every guest this that comes on the show, which is, during your orange pill journey, your Bitcoin journey, were there any books, courses, or even people in the space that inspired you to kind of gain uh, sources of your Bitcoin knowledge? Sure. I think some of the resources that were really helpful for me um, were uh, Jeff Booth's book, The Price of Tomorrow. I think that frames the problem that Bitcoin solves really succinctly, talking about how we sort of live in a naturally deflationary world uh, where we have uh, central banks around the world fighting that uh, with inflationary money, and that that system is sort of just set up to fail, to have huge uh, credit busts over time, and that we really need a type of money that, that fits the actual technological economy that we have. Um, there's not every part of uh, the Bitcoin standard that I love, but I think some of that discussion around the history of money uh, is a really helpful way of framing things. Humans moving from commodity money to token monies, and you know, some of those token monies were really successful, like gold and silver. Some were less successful, like seashells and glass beads. Uh, and you know where Bitcoin fits into that story uh, of the evolution of money. Um, and then, you know, one of my favorite resources now, I really love uh, Preston Fish's show on the uh, Investors Podcast Network. Uh, every Wednesday, they, they have a bunch of my friends on, and it's a terrific uh, resource. So, Zach, my next question is, is one that I kind of wanted to ask you, um, just looking at your background, looking at, you know, what you do on your day-to-day. -day. So I'm aware that you're an attorney by day. And, you know, a lot of people can be flummoxed about law, about, you know, kind of how that process works. And my question to you is, as an attorney, is it ethical for you to accept Bitcoin as, um, you know, payment for legal fees? Sure. Uh, and I do that all the time. Uh, as an attorney, you can accept whatever you want. You can accept dollars, Bitcoin, you know, chickens, uh, in some cases, stock in your client, which I also sometimes do. Uh, there are some legal ethics rules about, you know, giving advice on something where you have a direct economic stake that you need to be careful of. That's not really so much a problem with Bitcoin. In the rest of the crypto sphere, uh, if you're getting paid in tokens from a crypto issuer and you're also trying to give a third party opinion about, for example, is that crypto token a security, that can occasionally get dicey. Um, but Bitcoin really doesn't have that problem. Yeah, not actually, I'm glad you brought that up because it actually leads to my next question. He is trying to do with Bitcoin and kind of having this battle back and forth with Ethereum and some of the other altcoins on what is a commodity, what is a security. So in your humble opinion, what do you believe Bitcoin is? Oh, I think it, at this point, it's incredibly clear that, uh, well, it depends in what context you're talking about. Uh, Bitcoin is not yet legal tender in the United States, but in terms of what I would just say it is from a layman's perspective, I, I think it's a form of money. It's a monetary asset. Uh, in terms of the appropriate regulatory body, uh, there's clear, I think, clearly established uh, at least policy, if not statutory law at this point, uh, that Bitcoin is a commodity rather than a security. And it might be helpful to talk about what the difference between those two is. Uh, and then for tax purposes, it's property. So it really depends whether you're talking to the CFTC, uh, which regulates commodities, they think about Bitcoin, the commodity, or you're talking to the IRS about taxes, where they think of Bitcoin as property. Um, but I don't think there are any lawyers or regulators in the space who seriously consider the idea that Bitcoin itself is a security. Yeah, most definitely. And I think that, you know, that's kind of a debate that we've been having in the ecosystem for quite some time. You see Michael Saylor talking about it. You see Lynn Alden talking about it. Everybody's trying to get clear cut regulation on what this act exactly is. And I think personally, I agree with you. I think that it's a commodity. I think that it's a form of digital property that you can pass on generationally. You can use it as a digital asset. Um, it's just kind of getting some of the, you know, 
older people in the space, some of the older financial institutions in the space to really get on board and understand how great of a digital asset Bitcoin truly is. Yeah. And I think the way to illustrate the difference between Bitcoin and, and a lot of this other stuff, um, the big question in crypto right now that doesn't apply as much to Bitcoin is which of those other things are securities? And that's a much more interesting question than Bitcoin, which I think is pretty clearly settled. Um, but whether or not a specific offer and sale of an asset is an investment contract or a security under U.S. law is governed by the Supreme Court case from 1946 uh, called the Howey Test. And basically, the Howey Test asks, all right, if you're selling some kind of asset, doesn't matter what the asset is. The original Howey case was about orange groves. Their case is about whiskey casks. And now people are applying this to all sorts of different cryptocurrencies. Uh, and you sell that asset. You ask first, why are people buying it? Are they buying it to use it? right, which is called uh, consumptive utility. That's why you hear a lot of crypto tokens refer to themselves as utility tokens, or are they buying it in the expectation of profit? And I would say in the case of most crypto assets, people are buying it, hoping number will go up uh, more than they have a pressing need to, to use it actually as like a subway token. And then the question is, right, there's some things that you buy, uh, you know, to make an investment, right? If I buy a rare pair of Nike sneakers, I might be buying that to flip them and, and get a higher price for it, but that's not a securities offering. So what's the what's the difference between buying, you know, Nike sneakers to flip them, which is not a securities offering, and buying Nike stock, which is, it's is there some particular group of people that need to go out there and do efforts in order to make your investment pay off? So if I'm selling the Nike sneaker, there's no one that needs to do anything to make my shoes more valuable. It's just about the market structure for sneakers. There just needs to be someone who values it more than me who will pay a higher price. Whereas with Nike stock, there's a company out there, a particular group of people, Nike Inc., and they have to do work uh, in order to make my stock more valuable tomorrow than it is today. Um, in, if you apply that to Bitcoin, there's not a Bitcoin company. There's no CEO of Bitcoin, right? The, the team, the leader behind the project, not only are he, they, she no longer involved, we don't even know who Satoshi is, right? And so uh, to the extent that Bitcoin will be more valuable in the future, that arguably doesn't take anyone's efforts because Bitcoin is just an asset. It just is what it is. We don't necessarily need new features features for it to be useful. Uh, but even to the extent that there are people like the incredible core devs uh, who are adding things to Bitcoin to make it more valuable, there's no particular group of people we're relying on. It's an open source project. It goes through peer review. You need the miners to sign off. The miners aren't all working together. The devs aren't all working together. It really truly is a decentralized project. I think if you that compare that to the other crypto things out there, many of them really just look like startups. Uh, and there's nothing wrong necessarily with startups, but if your startup is going to do well, if you're going to create a use case for your, your utility token, oftentimes that will require the work of a specific company. And, and that's what you're seeing uh, at issue, for example, in the, in the Ripple case right now, where the SEC is in court arguing that Ripple Labs, the company behind XRP, uh, you know, was basically pitching XRP as an investment that they would do work to make valuable. And that's really uh, sort of at the heart of what the securities law is trying to, to get after. Exactly. And a lot of these alternative coin companies are, you know, they're they're getting these coins at the pre-mine stage, which kind of causes a whole lot of other issues. And, you know, what I love about Bitcoin is that, you know, it can't be capitulated. It can't be manipulated. Like you said, there's no CEO. So this is things that I think the audience, the world needs to realize about Bitcoin because there's so much FUD out there. And I really respect your legal expertise on some of these things. My next question so to you is, Zach, is as a legal fellow at the Bitcoin Policy Institute, um, you know, there's a lot of issues with Bitcoin and self-custody. I'm not sure if you're aware, but there's a privacy uh, key disclosure law being sent out for uh, in the Senate in Wyoming. Um, do, how, are you familiar with that? Uh, not that state law in particular, but I think self-custody and Bitcoin privacy are, are critically important issues um, and, and definitely things that, that BPI is committed to and, and taking a, a strong look at. 
Yeah. And I kind of want to unpack that a little bit more, just like from a Bitcoiner's perspective. So like you being an attorney, let's just say, for example, you have a client that has, you know, private keys and they have a warrant or they get their house raided and law enforcement, you know, accesses those keys or seizes those keys. Like as far as the courts go and the laws go, do they have the right to take those keys and do they have the right to access those keys? Uh, it would certainly depend on the circumstance. Uh, if they had a warrant to seize the Bitcoin, then yes. Uh, and there are cases of that out there happening. Um, but, you know, it's really like any other bear instrument. It'd be like if you had, as a as a decentralized commodity, it would be the same if you had guard bo- uh, gold bars in a safe, right? And and could they get the combination to the safe and open it and seize it? Yeah, if, if they have a court order that allows them to do so, they, they could. Um, now, with Bitcoin, one of the unique things, it's if you set it up correctly, especially with geographically separated multi-sig, it's much, much harder to confiscate than gold bars in a safe are. Right, because you can just remove someone from their house, and if you have to drill a hole in the safe, you can drill a hole in the safe and get the gold out. It's very hard to do a, you know, perhaps global scavenger hunt to find a three of five multi-sig. Uh, so practically, they may not be able to. But uh, in terms of the sort of legal specifics here, it really it's the same as anything else. It's it's just property like any other property. Yeah, 100%. And I'm glad you brought that up. Multisig is very important, guys. Ladies and gentlemen out there, you know, you have companies like Casa, um, you know, there's a lot of other companies Games. out there. Yeah, yep, exactly. There's tons of them out there and they're giving you the option to not just have your eggs in one basket, like Zach said. Yeah. One of the companies I, I work with in the Bitcoin space I'm particularly excited about is also going to roll out the first uh, Bitcoin self-custody insurance, which is going to be really awesome. And I don't know how many details I can share about that now, but look out for a company called Anchor Watch. It's an amazing team and, and they're going to have some really cool offerings to make self-custody uh, you know, less scary if, if uh, insurance is a concern. Yeah. Um, last question, uh, where, where do you think the future of NFT law and regulation is headed in the future? Yeah, I think that's a difficult question because of all of the things in the crypto space, NFTs are the most diverse, right? So uh, I think Bitcoin represents a, a fundamental revolution in technology and money in that it's the first instance of, of truly uh, distributed digitally native scarce money. Uh, and NFTs are sort of the next step, much more sort of experimental. I'm not sure they've proven themselves even conceptually in the same way Bitcoin has, but they're moving that idea one step forward to say, okay, you know, Bitcoin has created digitally native money, but what if we used you know, blockchain tokens, whether they're on the Bitcoin network or some other uh, blockchain network, and we use them to represent some other arbitrary asset, whether that asset is real estate, whether that asset is some claim on a digital piece of art, whether it's, you know, stock in a company, whether it's just your hotel key card. And so I think you can tell from the examples I was giving, these things that NFTs represent, anything from, you know, a collectible, a key card, all the way up to real estate or equity in a company or or DAO, as, as more often happens in the crypto space, those are hugely different activities that um, I think are appropriately regulated very different from each other. So if you're launching an NFT that just serves as a, a token to let you into your hotel room that effectively disappears or is disabled at the end of your hotel stay, that probably doesn't need a ton of hardcore regulation around it. Uh, whereas if we're rebuilding you know, the, the stock market on the blockchain and we're using NFTs to represent stock certificates that you use to vote uh, at, at company shareholder meetings or to receive dividends, that probably is something that will merit stronger regulation. So I I think, you know, right now, NFTs is this buzzword. There's this sort of crazy market for NFTs where people are paying a million dollars for a a cartoon of a monkey. And I think we need to kind of work some of that silliness out of the system. But my guess is eventually regulators will catch on to NFTs are not a monolith. Um, 
to the extent that they have promise and are going to move the ball forward, they're going to move the ball forward in very different ways for different industries. So I think the regulation on NFTs will be specific to each sort of use case that NFTs end up getting used for, which, at least in my view, is a little bit hard to tell right now where, if anywhere, NFTs will find product market fit. Yeah. And I think one of the biggest issues that we're seeing now is like the fungibility aspect, where with Bitcoin, when it talk, when you're talking about fungibility, one Bitcoin is always going to equal one Bitcoin. And when you have NFTs and you have some of these other things that can be, you know, they say that it can't be duplicated, but it's essentially a JPEG. It's essentially an image frozen in time out there in cyberspace. And as we've seen with some of these other exchanges that are doing NFTs, there's a lot of hacks. There's a lot of issues with people having um, the rights to those NFTs and keeping them secure. So I think that Bitcoin, like, I don't know if you're familiar, Zach, but there's a company called um, Rare Toshi where they do Bitcoin NFTs. It's not as big as some of the other commonplace uh, NFT things you see out there now. But I think as Bitcoin evolves, as the space gets bigger and people get a better understanding, like you said, of what an NFT actually is and its potential, um, you know, Bitcoin hopefully can fix some of those fungibility issues and some of those security issues that we're seeing now with NFTs. Yeah, I'm really excited for uh, Bitcoin NFTs to get bigger. I, I hope that that industry uh, gets larger. I would love to see better uh, user interface on, on stuff like Counterparty. I think Scarce City is, is a really cool place to go and see where the Bitcoin NFT energy is right now. The Pepe project, right, being the sort of first NFTs in the space, all the way from, you know, Junseth and the, and the Bitcoin Uncensored podcast to the, the fake rares that they're making today are very cool. And one of the projects I find most interesting in that space now, uh, I apologize, I actually don't know who started it. It's called Ordinals. And what they're doing, you're familiar with it? They do this really cool thing. They are basically putting a unique serial number on every Satoshi on the Bitcoin blockchain. And what you can do with that then is look at historical UTXOs, right? So I want this coin that Hal Finney had, and I'm going to use that to make an artwork where, you know, it's a picture of Hal Finney, but there's an open dime on it, and it has some of Hal Finney's original Bitcoin uh, that, that he once owned. And I think like collectible UTXOs is, is sort of an interesting next step I would love to see in the, the Bitcoin NFT. Yeah, too. Um, you know, in the Bitcoin space, like we'll just use um, environmental climate change, for example. There's companies out there, they're doing, what they're doing is essentially they're trying to create green renewable Bitcoin, which kind of puts a label on Bitcoin because Bitcoin is supposed to be anonymous. So my question is, um, will we have a case in the future where you have quote unquote flagged Bitcoin versus unflagged Bitcoin? And will that make a determination on your NFT or some of the other products that you hold? If you have something that's flagged, will that diminish the fungibility and the net worth of the total asset in your opinion? Yeah, I think that's a really, really important question. And despite what I just said about thinking that collectible UTXOs are cool, I think in general, it is critically important for the health of the Bitcoin network uh, that we preserve fungibility along the asset. And so anytime people start talking about green Bitcoin, or in the case of uh, Marathon, the mining company was talking about OFAC compliant blocks, I think that's a really dangerous uh, road to go down. Um, look, if we want to regulate uh, Bitcoin's environmental impact, and that's there's, of course, a fierce debate about that and, and whether that makes sense or is necessary is going to work. But even if that is something you want to do, I think a much more efficient way is to go to the miners and say, you know, if you have miners in your jurisdiction, your government, hey, you know, we're going to regulate what energy you can use, right? We want more renewables. We want whatever. Actually regulating the Bitcoin that is created from certain energy sources, I think, is absolutely the wrong way to go about that. And it's going to create a weird system where it's going to be hard to tell whether the, you know, quote unquote, clean Bitcoin or dirty Bitcoin is going to be worth more 
But, you know, the analog to this is in, in certain countries uh, that, you know, have maybe have a weak currency or don't have their own currency and are using, you know, paper dollars. Uh, there are some cases where, you know, a dirty dollar bill or a dollar bill that has a little tear in it or was folded has crease is worth less than a clean dollar bill. And I think that's just that's like not good for the dollar. And I think once we start talking about, you know, instead of blacklisting addresses because we say, OK, this address belongs to a bad actor uh, or making you know regulations about what kind of energy you can use. Right. We don't want you to burn X amount of coal. If instead we just say, oh, this Bitcoin over here that was created, these UTXOs are evil UTXOs, no matter who they belong to. Um, I, I think that's basically an attack on the network that we really want to avoid. 100 percent. Zach, once again, I really, really respect your opinion, your insight on Bitcoin, your uh, prefola of knowledge. <laughs> um, so uh, last thing for the audience, uh, give people um, the ability to contact you on social media and also what other projects you have uh, in the future. Sure. Um, so uh, easiest way to to find me, I spend way too much time on Clubhouse uh, and my handle there is at Venture Council, uh, V-E-N-T-U-R-E-C-O-U-N-S-E-L. Uh, similar to my Twitter handle, except I didn't snag uh, the correct spelling of that. So it's the same thing without the E at the end. So it's Venture Council without the E. Um, and then, uh, yeah, probably easiest way to find me is shoot me a, a Twitter DM. And uh, especially if you're out there building something in the Bitcoin ecosystem, whether it's a venture-backed startup or some sort of open source project, uh, I, I'm really uh, that's what I most love working on, helping people uh, do fundraising, build companies. Uh, I think that's going to be the next step in the Bitcoin journey. And the thing I'm most excited about is helping uh, people build the products and services that will both make Bitcoin more useful and uh, easier to, to bring into lives of people who are not involved in Bitcoin now. Thank you, Zach, for taking time out to be on the Bitcoin source. Have a good one. You too. Thanks so much for having me. Bye. Bye. Bye.